Well, I hope you've been uh, enjoying our series in Genesis. Um, uh, today, what, 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 what title did I give you today? A People Worthy of a Death Sentence? My goodness, what a, what a sad uh, uh, title, uh, especially after all those great Christmas songs. But keep that note. <clears throat> keep your hope toward Christmas, the 25th. Um, it's actually going to get darker next week, but we, we look for hope into Christmas. But anyway, I'm excited to uh, prepare uh, and share today's message. I always have lots more prepared than I could share, and so let's get into it. Um, just to show you where we're at. Okay, so we've discovered that in Genesis 1, that God saw, said, let there be light, and saw that it was good. And I wrote down a couple other words that we found out and we studied and contemplated that God is powerful, creative, but also moral and benevolent God. Something we didn't really touch upon, but we just touch upon his power and awesomeness, but he is also moral and benevolent. And that's going to be significant as we kind of move through Genesis and taking us to Christmas. <laughs> Something more close, taking us to communion. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have a little full circle here as I'm, I had to figure out how to make this message circular instead of linear because we're kind of going down a, uh, a spiral of our uh, our ancestors, our spiritual parents, their fall from grace and our fall from grace. Um, so we talked about God and then also asked the questions, <clears throat> who am I? Who are we? And what are we here for? We were called and named by God to be on the God squad, to rule over the earth, to be on God's team, on his goodness side. We're also called that God gave us uh, pro-choice. He gave us uh, the choice to do what is right or wrong, good and evil. And his vision was for mankind, humankind, to leave, cleave, and become one, right? So what could maturity look like? We talked about some critical numbers, right? At 20, 16, $16 a day. We talked about uh, being mature and saving for retirement. If at the age of 20 years old, how old are you now? 16. By the age of 20, if you start saving your money, $16 a day, $16 a day, you save that up for 10 years and then stop, invest that in a diversified mutual fund, you'll have over a million dollars by the time you retire. You could take care of your retirement. Then we talked about some other numbers, right? One half times one half equaled what? A fraction, right? Fractional people. Fractional people times another fractional person equals fractional relationships. But our hope was one times one. Wholeness times wholeness. Our hope is oneness. So no matter what biological family 
um, we inherited. Um, going back a little bit, <clears throat> the question of who are we and where do we come from? Uh, a lot of people, especially atheists and secular people, they don't believe that they're descendants of Adam, right? You, you would agree with that, right? We, you know, us believers, we believe, have faith that our ancestors were Adam and Eve. But it's so, especially the book of Genesis, it's so amazing how uh, the lessons about uh, their lives it are, is so true and so real. But it doesn't matter what biological family you come from. <clears throat> Broken, single parent, divorced, neglected, adopted, absent, even abusive. The hope of being in God's community, being adopted brothers and sisters is a joy, and that's why we come together. And that's why we come to have communion. That's why we come in fellowship. That is the good news that we hope for, that points toward Christmas, right? So, um, I need new glasses. Either I need to make the fonts bigger for you guys, right? I'm having the same trouble you guys are, is uh, squinting at what's written there. So, um, the hope is to have oneness, <clears throat> to be naked and unashamed. The hope of one times one. It could be family, friends, neighbors, but we need to be on the same mission. Here's another uh, uh, numbers formula for, for you. Greater than two equals X. Greater than two equals X. Where two or more are gathered, Christ will be there in our midst. That is our hope. And uh, last time we talked about how to practically do that in the churches kind of general, but as you get together, one-on-one, two-on-two, Bible study, small groups, as you maintain confidentiality, share with one another, right? There's intimacy that is built. And we talked about um, maintaining confidentiality. We talked about uh, uh, trying not to interrupt. We talked about <clears throat> actively listening. And those are the practical ways to do that in a group. Um, okay, let's get to our lesson today. Uh, we alluded briefly to Genesis chapter 3. So go ahead and grab your Bibles um, and go ahead and open up Genesis chapter 3. We'll be reading <clears throat> through there. And this is classically called The Fall of Mankind. I titled it... The consequences of rebellion or oneness broken. But we talked about brief, briefly that uh, um, after their rebellion, um, their oneness with God was broken. They were naked and afraid. They were ashamed, and they started the blame game. They started the blame game. So in chapter 3, we'll start reading. <clears throat> so what uh, this sets off the uh, downward spiral of oneness that was attained in the garden. Um, so in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it starts reading, Now the serpent was more crafty than all of the wild animals that the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, 
Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Very familiar to us all, right? <clears throat> Very familiar to us all. So on the first uh, note there, I wrote, I'll read it for you if you can't see it. The serpent, and later on in the Bible, the serpent is described as Satan. So uh, if, you're, if your question is, you know, who was this character? Was it, was it a snake? Was it a serpent? Later on, um, others refer to it in the Bible as Satan himself. He is a tempter. He is a liar. And then we continue on reading. Um, well, actually, the first thing that the serpent does, the way he tempts, he puts a seed of doubt, right? How did he do that? Did God really say? Did God really say? It sounds so simple in the text, but it is so applicable to our lives today. So this is how we do Bible study. We are going to kind of go verse by verse. Imagine us in a, in a small group circle and we're doing Bible study. We're going to go uh, uh, verse by verse. What does it say? What does it mean? And kind of have some application. But in this setting, there, there's, there won't be too much back and forth. <laughs> but that's what we're kind of doing. So did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really give Moses the Ten Commandments to tell people to have no other gods before me? Did God really say to not honor your father and mother, to not covet or lust after things that you don't have? Did God really say? It's something that we deal with today. It's almost like the advice for, you know, to live a healthy and happy life, you know, don't smoke and drink a lot um, and things like that. Even like the big tobacco. What did they do? Is it, is it really bad for you? You know, people come out with experts. Smoking causes cancer. What did they do? How did they, how did they defend that? Well, they had their own scientists do a study, right? And they said, well, our research said it may or it may not. It could be for other reasons. Right? What did they do? Put a little seed of doubt in people's minds. Put a little seed of doubt. So I think this is how the serpent, this snake four or 5,000 years ago, is Satan present today in telling lies. What did the serpent do? He told lies. And he started with a seed of doubt. Okay, reading on here. <clears throat> reading on in verse 2 the woman said to the serpent um, she kind of repeats uh, Adam's uh, charge from God that we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden but God did say so this is her response to did God really say she's repeated God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that was in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. To the serpent responded, what? You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Interesting, huh? Interesting. 
I've uh, spent many hours just kind of contemplating this is like the, the pivot point, the, the point that, that, that begins evil and sin in our spiritual parents passed down to us that we struggle with today. And I was trying to get nuggets from this. And that's what we're going to do today. But the serpent, Satan, is a liar. What, what does he say? You will not certainly die. Well, what is the truth? Okay, from this point on, you will eventually die. <laughs> okay? Before this, apparently Adam and Eve, the man and woman, just, you know, God created them, and they lived forever. They had eternal life. There was oneness. They had eternal life before this point. So the serpent is saying, you will not certainly die. But the fact is, well, as we keep reading, you eventually will die, right? Adam, and we read Adam and Noah lived to these amazing, crazy 400 years numbers and uh, things like that. And then at some point, God put a limit on it. He said, okay, that's, that's enough of that. 120 <laughs> is, is all you get. 120. And amazingly, I didn't look up on the internet, but that would be something interesting. Are there any people currently, recent history, that live past 120? It doesn't really seem that way, does it? We see on Good Morning in America, a new centurion, 100 and whatever years old. So you could probably look up who's the oldest person in America today, and, and it'll probably give you a number. But 120, I don't know if there's anybody that lives past that today. So <clears throat> the Satan tells the serpent here, tells half-truths, your eyes will be open uh, like God, knowing good and evil. So it's kind of a half-truth. Um, it's a little bit true of what he said, but it's a half-truth. And this is how the serpent confuses us, tricks us. The author of, Mos the author of, of Genesis is said to be Moses, and he, and he writes that... Eve rationalizes that the serpent's half-truths were desire, that the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom. That's how she kind of in uh, process saw this, that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. Then in verse 6, if we start reading on, when the woman saw the fruit, that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and recall last time we established that all, all the trees in the garden, in the vast Amazon were good for food and pleasing to the eye. So that wasn't necessarily special. And so that was kind of new for me, uh, reading Genesis again. She uh, thought the food was good for food and pleasing to the eye. And then she interprets and desirable for gaining wisdom. So at this point, the serpent's tricks and deception and half-truths work on Eve she believes it's desire for gaining wisdom, and she took and ate some fruit. And then, what did she do? Interesting. The serpent tricked and deceived Eve, and now Eve takes the role of the serpent. I never thought of that before. 
Because what does she do? She gave it to Adam. Interesting, huh? So she took that role. So Eve kind of does the work for the serpent now. You don't read that, and then the serpent went to Adam, and blah, 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 right? Uh, Eve now uh, tricks or gives the food to Adam. Sorry, my notes are getting mixed up here. Stuck together. There we go. Um, how many here have kind of heard that Eve is the kind of... How many, raise, raise your hands if you've heard that Eve was the first one to sin. So, right? Right? Eve, Eve was kind of the... Yeah, she got tricked, but out of the two, she was the first one or maybe... I don't know, worse one, at least Adam blamed it on her. You guys have heard that, right? How many of you but believe by the raise of hands that she's more culpable, more culpable, more sinful than Adam? <laughs> maybe, maybe. You've heard that before. I've heard that preached. And sometimes you're going, well, I don't know. They both got punished, right? So let's, let's read on. Um, Eve is typically, you know, in literature, history, disparaged a little more than Adam because he was, she was first, she was tricked. Um, and Adam was kind of the, what, innocent bystander, huh? He was just working in the field, and then here Eve, uh, uh, maybe unsuspectingly, he took it. But as we read on, that's not necessarily true. So I'm going to give you a different uh, perspective on that. From the perspective of the serpent, Satan, I believe it was Adam who took less tempting than Eve. Okay, a little different perspective. So we read in the narrative what? Uh, the serpent worked on Eve, right? Well, did God really say, did he really, you won't really die he worked like a, uh, a salesman, right? Like a door-to-door salesman, the seller of the, the $1,000 vacuum cleaner, the, the Luxo, Luxo light, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. He worked on Eve pretty hard. But interesting, did he, do, did he uh, work on Adam very hard? No. Zero. Interesting, right? In fact... Uh, after uh, he worked on Eve, Eve kind of did his bidding. She didn't even have to repeat in the narrative what Serpent had said, all this, did God really say, blah, blah, you will not really die. She just offered it to Adam, and him, like a bumpkin, kind of went, either he's a bumpkin and he was naive, he didn't know, and he said, oh, okay, <laughs> and ate it. So was he innocent? Was he kind of dumb like Forrest Gump? Was he that? Is that why Eve is more disparaged? But what does the text say? Adam, who was with her. Who was with her? And this is where the commentaries say, well, you might say Eve was the first. You might say Eve was tricked and then tricked Adam. 
and Adam was innocent. But this phrase here that Adam was with her. He was with her the whole time. <laughs> so the, 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 the used car salesman or the guy at the front door selling a vacuum cleaner, it's like Eve was at the front door. Adam was with her. Adam was in the conversation. Adam was not naive. How do I know this? Well, I'm reading it between the lines, but as we go on, <clears throat> we're going to look at God's response to them. Okay? I mean, if God's response was, Eve, your punishment is worse because you did this, and Adam was innocent, working hard, so he gets a lesser punishment. It doesn't quite go that way. So let's uh, continue on. Adam was with her. I believe, like I said, Satan tempted both Adam and Eve, and Adam did not require as much tempting. It's kind of like getting your little brother to steal something that you really want, <laughs> right? Kind of getting your little brother to do your dirty work. That's kind of how I'm seeing Adam. A little more culpable than just the innocent bumpkin. That's how I'm kind of seeing him. And we also established that in Genesis 2 that the garden was huge, right? It's not like, uh, it's not like Adam was just working, doing his thing, and, and Eve came along. Oh, honey, do you need something to eat or drink? You know? <laughs> Here's this. This will sustain, sustain you. No, I don't think so. I believe, I proposed a couple weeks ago, that the garden was huge. It says it's huge, all right? Four rivers, three lands that had different names, right? And this tree that God said do not take was in the center of it. So the story just kind of starts that here they are, <laughs> the serpent offering this tempting fruit. So I believe that they actively sought out, um, and Adam was the leader at this time, so how did they get to the middle of the garden anyway? Adam, 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 okay? So that's how I'm seeing this. If we were in a small group, we would have some back and forth, uh, but uh, uh, this is the context I get to say my opinion. <laughs> Okay. All right. Verse 7. Let's continue on. Verse 7. So they take the fruit. They take the bait. Then, as the serpent kind of said, half truth, both of their eyes, both of them, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is, this is kind of interesting. So it is a half-truth. The eyes of them were both open to what? Good and evil. It doesn't quite say that, but inferred. And something interesting here, um, I didn't have quite the time to investigate this. Um, you, could, you can go half a phrase by half a phrase, statement by statement, and kind of investigate this. But, you know, the fig leaves, you know, was, was, was a fruit figurative? was good and evil figurative. But here we, we, just, we read that their eyes were open, and then they just both went, oh, 
we're naked. <laughs> okay, it's kind of like literal in the, in the text. Um, and it's always, it's interesting that, that uh, you can't take it that way. And then if it were figurative, why would they say, so they sewed fig leaves together and make coverings for themselves? It sounds pretty literal to me. So uh, just a point to point out. But uh, this whole idea of the knowledge of good and evil, and you could uh, circle that, put a star next to it. We're going to spend a couple next slides just kind of wrestling what, what did that really mean? That their, their eyes were open to good and evil. And I don't have a concrete answer because it's, it's like the <laughs> main issue, okay? It's the main issue why we do what we do. That's the main issue why uh, there was blood sacrifice. It's the main issue why we're taking community. It's the main issue that you all are pointing toward Christmas. So um, it's worthy to doing some Bible study on what was this knowledge of good and evil? Because before this, were they good? Uh, were they just innocent? I think they were just kind of innocent. They had no knowledge of good and what was good, what was evil. You know, we just go back to God is powerful. Slide's not up there. We just go back to God is powerful. And God said what? God said it was good. Created man and woman, created the garden, and he said what? It was very good. So at that time, things were very good. And now they had knowledge of good and evil. So um, I used to think it said... Now their eyes were open, and they now knew good from evil. I used to think it said that. Like, they were good, and then they were still good, and they just uh, saw evil. Now they knew, like God, oh, that's evil. We'll stay away from that. I used to kind of think it that way, you know, Adam and Eve. Um, because um, I used to just, I don't know, I romanticize them. Uh, I, do, I think of them idealistically. Um, but here it says they had knowledge of good and evil. So what did that mean? Maybe, I propose, maybe now Adam and Eve are tempted. I'm going back to the tempter because he's a character in this story. Not just a character in a nice story, a Bible story, a kid's story. But you'll see that, that God, when he meters out the punishment, he also addresses the serpent, the snake. So applying this, it's not only sin, knowledge of good and evil that we have to think about. We also have to think about a tempter in our lives, how temptation, how Satan still acts today. So maybe Adam and Eve are tempted by evil, evil thoughts, how do actions start? They start out by thoughts, evil feelings, selfish thoughts, malevolent thoughts, shameful thoughts. And maybe they might move toward action. Or maybe, now that they know their intimate knowledge of good possessing good and evil, kind of like God, but 
we know this, that God, they are like God, but God is perfect. So God chooses, we, we worship and believe in a good God. So they were kind of like God, like Satan said. That's a half-truth, knowing the difference between good and evil. But there's a difference between God and the created being, right? God is holy, 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 set apart, set apart, set apart. And here, uh, Adam and Eve are um, now have the knowledge of good and evil. And I think what the, the crux of the message is God is a God that chooses. He has a knowledge of good and evil, but he chooses to be a good God, and that's the God that we worship. Adam and Eve now disobeyed God, now have the knowledge of good and evil, and they have a choice now. And that's the question that confronts all of us every day of our lives. What's our choice? What are we going to choose to do? So on your slide here, it says, the tempter's uh, method of operation was to sow seeds of doubt. Did God really say? Adam and Eve now have now know about evil and as well as good. So innocence is, was lost. And progressively, I believe, more temptable. Progressively more temptable. I keep coming to, back to that because I believe Satan is still an active character in the story and active today and active in our lives. So in a nutshell, oneness was broken. Oneness was broken. They hid from God. They were afraid. They were naked and ashamed. Then they started the blame game, right? Then they started the blame game. So I'm going to skip over this part, and I want to get to a last part. So I'm going to go ahead in my notes here. Um, I was going to go line by line and uh, a little more of the context of what we just talked about, uh, how oneness was broken with God, right? Um, I'll just read really quick here in verse 8. Um, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. Interesting, right? They were no longer face-to-face -face with God, but they had to hear him walking along in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God, uh, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden in verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man. Okay, Again, interesting point, was Eve more guilty? No, who was the leader of this pack? God called to the man. Adam, the man, where are you? Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, and God said to him, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Again, this relationship, this covenant relationship with God and the human, the man, is God addressing Eve right here? No, he's addressing the leader of this, this little pack of two. So, appropriately, God addresses the serpent, the woman, and then the man, and the punishment is more severe, uh, apparently, for the man. So, um, this is where the blame game 
becomes, comes in. Blame, blame, blame. Uh, Adam answered God, well, the, the woman that, that you gave me, that you put here, first he says, that, first he puts it on God, the woman you put here, and it's interesting to know, I'm going to point out, because I'm going to make a point later, that they don't have names here. He's, simp he's simply, God called to the man, and Adam, the man, is referring to the woman. The woman that you put here, she gave me some fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Um, and then God reacts and says to the woman, what is this you have done? What is this you have done? So the woman is now kind of the culpable tempter or uh, the person who gave the fruit, the forbidden fruit, against God's law to Adam. And the woman goes on to say, as you know, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Okay, The blame game, minimizing responsibility and blame. So 14, so the Lord God went to the serpent and says, because you have done this, because you have done this, you will uh, slither on your belly and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Consequences for the serpent. Now, and I'll, I'll cover this briefly. I guess this, this is instead of Bible study uh, discussion, it's more commentary from, from me. Um, I guess that's what today's message is. It's not a sermon, it's a commentary on the passage today. Um, in verse uh, 16, he said to the woman, consequences. All right, what are the consequences of this? Even though this is titled, What Warranted Death? Okay. What was so bad about their disobedience that warranted their punishment? So for the serpent, there was some punishment. So that's interesting, right? If the serpent was just a, a side character, you know, you know, maybe all the responsibility would be on Adam and Eve. But um, after this, what, what happens, God gives a punishment, a consequence to the serpent. So the serpent is a real character, and we could apply that today, that he may and continues to be a deceiver, a liar. Now to Eve, I just wrote in my notes, this really sucks for Eve. <laughs> right? What's the consequence for Eve? Man. This, this, is, this consequence really is messed up. <laughs> it's messed up. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. And painful your labor will be. You will give birth when you give birth to children. And your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. Very, very. Not only does that suck, right? For 50% of the people in the world, 50% of people in the room. But even today, you know, you wonder if the Bible is relevant, right? You wonder if the Bible is relevant. You read these, how true is this? Why does it happen? I don't know why it happens, but it does. I'm kind of glad, you know, when I thought about this when I was younger, I was glad I didn't have to bear, bear children. <laughs> Our job's pretty easy. I don't know. Ladies, when you see God face to face, you can ask him that question. <laughs> Was this really fair? What happened here? And then on your own time, you could also spend some time uh, getting into what does that really mean that 
Now your husband will rule over you. Wow. And they just wrote some other notes that, how true is this today? Gosh. Men are, men are stronger than women. Some women. <laughs> some women are stronger than men. But it is true all over the world. Patriarchal societies, not just political, but, right? The brute force built into their systems. It's, a, it's an interesting commentary, Genesis, on the world today that we live in. Okay, let's move on to Adam, Adam's consequence. To Adam, in verse 17, to Adam he says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit, oh, by the way, about which I commanded you, Adam, you must not eat from it. So there's the, he's not, Adam is not the innocent bystander, right? The initial command of this tribe was Adam. Who is responsible for this tribe of two? Adam. How did they get to the center of the garden? Adam, right? By the way, the serpent could have been a wolf, right? Could have come in wolf, like danger or whatever. And who was supposed to defend the pack. Adam? Where was Adam when the serpent came? He, absent. Absent. So he dropped the ball, abdicated his responsibility, and God says here in so many words, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit. All right, you did not lead about which the commands I gave you. Because of this, verse 10, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful, here's your pain, not in childbirth, but painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. Uh, wow. The little words you could pick apart here. Cursed is the ground, okay. Painful is the toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. That's a change, right? What does all the days of your life mean? It's no longer infinite. It is now finite. He repeats it in verse 18 and 19. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Okay? By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Get this. Until you return to the ground. Wow. Wow. This is God's response to Adam's culpability, Adam's leadership, Adam's part in this little saga of Adam and Eve and the serpent and the fruit. And so what is going on here? What warranted the death sentence? You are now mortal. Woo, whoops. You are now mortal. The consequence fit the offense. So this, I mean, I admit, when you read this story, I've always struggled with the consequence, right? Wow, they got banished from... The garden, 
You know, there's, a, there's an angel with swords saying, you can't come here. Uh, now you have a basic, basic death sentence. Wow, what happened here? And this is the last point we're going to close on. But these are the things that I think are amazing to look at in Genesis. The consequence fit the offense. You know, it's not my job to, not my job to judge, well, did the consequence fit the offense? Well, this was the consequence, okay? So we're kind of being archaeologists, moral archaeologists. So from what they did, wow, this was the, what, this was the consequence. So it's interesting. Verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat for food. We already covered that all the days of your life. Repeats explicitly saying, it's explicit since from it, the ground you were taken. For dust you are and dust you will return. Wow. God is saying here, let me remind you, you were dust. You were silly putty. Okay? And I've repeated it there. But in Genesis 1-7, God is almost reminding them, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and did what? Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the living, and the man became a living thing. Let's, let's, let's remind the man and woman who they were, okay? Who were they? Were they angels? Were they God's equals? Were they, you know, players here? You know, in God's goodness and grace, he made a covenant with the man, the created being, right? And they were kind of in fellowship. That was oneness. But now, oneness lost, brokenness lost. God is reminding them that in Genesis 1, that God is holy, holy, holy. What does holy mean? Set apart. God is set apart, set apart, set apart. What, what did I do last time? There are plants, right? There are animals set apart from animals as far as uh, God's glory. And then there are uh, sheep. You know, you look a sheep in the eye, uh, you know? And then there are pigs. I heard pigs are really smart, like dogs, right? I heard pigs and Domestic dogs are actually pretty much on par. That's why it kind of pains me every time I eat pork. I love pork, but I struggle with that. But God is what? In these statements that you were taken from the ground, and that's where you will go, let me remind you, I created you. This, I believe, is the offense of Adam and Eve. They, like us, forget that God is holy, holy, holy. We forget. I believe that's mankind's, humankind's, nation's kind problem that we forget that God is holy, holy, holy. Doing a little study, the Hebrew word for Adam, Adam, sounds like the Hebrew word for Adama, which means ground. So our namesake, before we get a little too puffed up about ourselves as humans, President Putin, President whoever, 
President Xi, who wishes to lord over their people, before they get a little too high of themselves, guess what? Their namesake is what? Dust. Let me remind you, Adam and Eve, you are but dust and I breathe life into you. That's what I got out of the text. So wrapping up, how did God respond? So he kicked them out of the garden. God was like, you guys messed up. Maybe I need to start over again, like a prototype. That's what it's like, right? If you're building something, making something, a little robot. It's like God is making a little robot, and it messed up, you know, a little whatever it is. What do you do? (laughs) Throw it in the garbage. Start again. That's exactly the context here. You're (coughs) working with something mechanical. You're creating something. Your prototype messes up. It messes up. What do you do? You smash it. You learn from it. And then you go on to make another one. No hard feelings, right? No emotional attachment. But what's interesting here? There is an emotional attachment. And I think it goes back to what I talked about earlier. God named the man. God named the man. And what did the the man do after that? What was his job? To name creation. And later on, I'm going to close on this. What does, at the end of the chapter... Oddly, uh, God sets limits to man's evil, innocence, loss. Um, He says he cannot be, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also grasp from the the, the tree of life in this state. So God puts a limit, kicks them out, drives them out of the garden. Right? That's how the text ends. Right after this, oddly, then it says, then... Adam named the woman. Before, she was just the woman. So now, now Adam, so God did not crumple up his piece of paper, his drawing, and start over. He offers grace because he had a relationship with the man and the woman. It's just like um, uh, Wilbur, Wilbur the pig, Right? If you don't have the emotional attachment, it could easily become um, roast pork, barbecue pork <laughs> for lunch today. There's no emotional attachment. God could have responded, what is God like? Burning the fat portions to make a sacrifice. He could have burnt it all up, burnt them all up, and just went, ah. And then, the, then, then it could have been, And then on the eighth day, God created man again, (laughs) right? God could have done that, but he had a relationship with them. And there's this pattern of naming things. Right after this, after all this happens, God gives them limits their life, kicks them out of the the Garden of Eden. It says, and then Adam named the woman Eve. So it's interesting. I mean, if we have some time, 
during your weekly Bible study. It's almost like they had this, they, they had oneness. And then they were tempted. And then God shone the light on them. And then they started going, not, not me. Not. It wasn't my fault. Their fault. Then they get consequences. Childbirth, the ground. You are now mortal. The next verse. And then the tone changes. The tone changes. Then it says, Adam named the woman Eve, for she will be the mother of all things. It's almost like they, they made up. <laughs> it's almost like they made up. And God's tone changes. You know what it says? What does it say? And then God clothed Adam and Eve. He didn't smash them. He didn't crumple up the paper. He didn't throw them away. And then it, then it says, he clothed their nakedness. His tone changes. So God's grace is shown. He had a relationship with Adam and Eve. So that's a good place to stop. And let's go ahead and move to communion. I hope uh, you got some encouragement from Genesis and the Garden of Eden and that story. And looking at it anew and afresh with different lenses, I hope that encourages you. But I encourage you to go and read that. Read it, study it. So this kind of leads us to, instead of linear, we have to come full circle, because now we're taking communion. So I put this slide up again. From innocence possessed oneness to innocence lost to the hope of oneness again.